Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Made in Brunel podcast with me, Karis Bowen. And I'm Alison Tuffin. As you can probably tell, uh, it's not Toby and Pav, it's Alison and myself again. Uh, Toby and Pav are safely locked away in my basement. They're just chilling. I've given them some crayons. They're having a great time. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we're still here taking over for um, another women's special as part of uh, Women's History Month. So, yeah. How's it going, Karis? What have you been what have you been up to since we last spoke? Not a lot. I mean I've started a new lockdown series, which I think you have to do. Death in Paradise. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. Oh my goodness. I've been watching Death in Paradise so much. I literally only started it a few weeks ago and I'm already on like season six. Good. It's incredible. It's just the most wholesome murder mystery there is. And it's in paradise. Exactly. You're just sat there looking at, you know, Guadeloupe and the Caribbean and just wishing that you could be there. Instead, we're stuck here where you look outside and it's almost always raining. Yeah, it's just great. It's miserable. It's a lovely bit of escapism. We can just ignore the fact that someone is murdered on every single episode, but it's, worth, it's a price that's worth paying for the for the escapism of the, of the programme. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so funny. I think every single episode I've watched, I've sort of thought right at the beginning to myself, you know, even if I was likely to become a murder victim over there, I think I would still go. Yeah, it would It would, It would. would not be the worst way out, let's just say that. No, certainly not. I've been watching WandaVision as well, though. That's such a good show on Disney+. That Plus. incredible. I need Disney Plus just for that. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, if people know me, they know I had Disney Plus already because I'm a bit of a fan, just a little bit, you know, not an obsession mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Definitely no. don't have an annual pass for Disneyland Paris. Definitely not. Yeah, no, definitely. It's very healthy, very healthy, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we are joined here today by Joe Barnard, who is the founder and creative director of Marama. Welcome, Joe. It's lovely to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. So we just want to ask you some questions today. Um, so we were obviously looking at your website, which has an incredible portfolio. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about Marama? Yeah, Um well, I guess the short version is we are an industrial design agency. We work predominantly with startups and as such have developed a, a lean, fast-paced design process that's very much focused on getting product to market, validating along the way and creating kind of very innovative stuff that challenges existing product categories. Uh, and we work end-to-end, so work all the way from concept design all the way through to manufacture we we do um, product packaging branding we even do art direction Uh, so yeah that's not so much a short version in the end but that's essentially what we do that sounds really incredible um if you can say do you have a favorite project that you've worked on or a favorite company (laughs) that you've worked with and why I think one of the projects the most recent projects I'm most proud of is the the deodorant case that we designed for wild and I think that's that more because of the the innovation, um, the first of its kind paper refills, so this completely plastic free, and the developing the the case that worked with those paper refills was it was like simultaneously a design challenge, um, but allowed us to bring out something really revolutionary in the market. So yeah, I guess that's probably the one of the most recent that I'm most proud of. That's really cool. Do you work with quite like a, a large range of different products then on and different projects or, or is there some kind of scope? Can you can you tell us about the different kinds of products you've worked on? Yeah, so when we first started um, 
Marama back in 2015, everyone said to us that we should specialise. And by that, it was, you know, pick a product category and, and say that's what you do and stick with it because it will allow you to find a niche and, and therefore like attract certain types of clients. But mm-hmm. obviously, I just didn't feel like I wanted to just design kitchenware or just design luggage for the, you know, for forever. So we've always said we our niche is that we work with startup companies. And as such, we work on a really broad range of projects. Like we've got luggage we've got tech we've got um we worked with Mimica um who uh, started by um ex-Brunel um Solvega uh Paxdita and she and that's a um a food label um that decays at the same rate as the food and um we've worked on uh we did a bike we did a, we've done we've done fitness products like we did such a broad range and every single day every single month we, we we're working on something different and, and that's what keeps it so exciting that's really cool so you can't get bored very easily then if you're working on something completely different from from one month to the other that sounds really not fun. at all <laughs> awesome yeah. it's, it's it really it's a challenge because you're learning all the time you have to there's so mm-hmm. much research so much um you have to really immerse yourself in like a new product category every time you start a new project but it's it's yeah super exciting Mm, yeah but I bet you learn so much more as well because then you know you once you've done a product like that if another one happens to come along you've already got that experience as well which just sort of helps for any sort of you know marketing for future projects or anything like that that must be really cool yeah definitely it's I mean there's something to be said about approaching uh, a a product um, that you've you with a completely fresh head you know coming at it without any prior experience because you're not hampered by any like previous biases or or kind of under knowledge of that's the way it's done so we should just do it like that and I think there's there's evidence um you can see evidence where a um, a company has sort of just been stuck in doing something the same way all over and over again you know slightly reskinning it slightly differently but essentially no real innovation and so we like to we pride ourselves on on actually having a really diverse portfolio because it means that we can we can approach something and bring knowledge from other product categories um, you know, into a new project. It must be such a rewarding um, sort of day-to-day experience with that type of uh, sort of structure because I think there's something so um, rewarding and rich about transferable knowledge and learning from day-to-day and sort of adding to your sort of knowledge bank um, each month um do you do you really love what you do because it sounds like you really do and it, it really differs from that standard sort of every day's the same sort of um stuck in that sort of work circuit do you do you really love what you do yeah I do love what I do I think like no two days are the same that is without a doubt I can say that hand on heart I have never had two days of the same at all in in the in the kind of six five six years that mama has been around it can be exhausting because you're obviously having to learn on the go every day, solve new problems and and um, start new projects on something that you you know really haven't had a huge amount of experience on before. But I always like for me personally, I'd rather be busy than bored. And and it, yeah, it I just got it's keeping that excitement is really like drives me uh, in in building Marama as a company and and working on these projects. 
That does sound really exciting. I feel like I would probably just get very, very nervous or um, worried about not knowing what's going to happen the next day. Sometimes I think I prefer a little bit of a schedule or at least a bit of an understanding, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, so I'm a bit less anxious about what I might need to prepare for. But yeah, that must be, you know, exhausting, but but good fun having no two days that are the same. Yeah, I mean, we obviously, we have a process and we've worked really, really hard to create and 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 refine that process that we go through it I think I mean it's 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 obviously somewhat similar to you know your typical design process of of um you know broad exploration followed by kind of bringing those ideas in and going out again and you know that sort of diamond approach but um it's it's something that we've kind of tailored over the last five years that and it works really well for pretty much any project and so because we have that process in place, we, you know, we have a we have a template, if you like, that we're going to apply to every project. It always allows room for for freedom of of, of um, creativity and and research and uh, and obviously, you know, it's, it's, there's no, nothing super rigid about it. But it allows us to know, okay, you know, we do have some some stepping stones to follow. It's not it's not a complete maze in front of us. Uh, and so mm-hmm. there, so there's a kind of there's there's enough structure that it's not terrifying every time we have a, a new project, um, but at the same time, you know, it's not so rigid that it's that it sort of strangles the project. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm guessing that's sort of the unique selling point, if you like, of um, for different companies to come to you guys to you know get help with their with their product. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've gone through that process with for every project that we have on our portfolio, and. It's something that we absolutely stick to, and and if if a client wants to skip past something or cut something out or do something in a different way, you know, we, we are quite strict about about saying no because obviously we know that it works. We know that we can get you know beautiful products to market um, mm-hmm. using this this structure and this method and this process. And so, yeah, that's I think that's the only thing that we're you know I I guess it is the the USP of Marama in a way in in that that is the the Marama approach if you like mm-hmm. yeah and I mean considering that sort of um, loosely based around the design process do you have like a favorite part of that process that you sort of look forward to doing every every time a new project rolls, rolls around oh um there's there's something to be said about that initial like that really early stage piece of work where you're basically the way that the question that we ask ourselves is what's the reason for this product to exist and within that question comes up a lot of different you know that starts to then ask a lot of other questions but it also allows for you to really define the what's what's really innovative and unique about that about this product you know what what is it going to stand for what's the story behind it and that for me I, I find that kind of strategic thinking at the beginning I find really interesting um, and then I also equally love the the part of the almost towards the end of the design process where you're literally looking at the tiniest split line and the tiniest fillet and the tiniest like surface where the you know how the light catches it and and so I, I'm those kind of two ends of the process I'm absolutely in love with. Mm, yeah I, I agree I definitely like the the sort of um the extreme ends of the the design process at the beginning when you're kind of having all the ideas and learning everything compared to the end where it's just about ready to go to market and you're just kind of thinking right oh what can I do to make this just that little bit better 
So, Joe, what led you to want to create your own design consultancy? Ooh, um, I think I, I can't remember a time where I suddenly was like, I'm going to start my own agency. But it was always something that I had at the back of my mind whilst I was at university. Between my se- second and third year, I did a placement at um, a company called Therefore, and uh, there's a des- design consultancy in, in the centre of London. And I really, I really enjoyed consultancy work, like the variety of projects that you work on, the the feeling of being in a team, but that everybody is working on something slightly different, and and you can bounce ideas off each other and learn from each other's work. I really enjoyed that, and. There was, I don't know, there was something that was like, I, I, it wasn't really the way I particularly wanted to work. It felt a little bit, everyone sort of worked quite individually and I preferred more of a team approach. Um, but obviously, then I went back to university and I did my final year and then I decided to just freelance for a while just because I enjoyed, like, I was happy working by myself and it allowed me to, to sort of, um, work on a variety of different things, working in different variety of different companies within London. And uh, I was really good friends with, I, I still am really good friends with a, uh, an, another Brunel grad called Rob, um, Rob Robert Bai. And we started, uh, we'd done Made in Brunel together. Um, I don't know what year was that, like 2013 or something. And so we'd worked together before um, and he was just like, look, we should just start something ourselves. And obviously I'd always had that at the back of my mind anyway. Um, he's less patient than I am. So <laughs> we, he just said, let's just do it now. And, and so we did. Um, and so I guess whilst I, I now run the agency by myself and um, I, know I have done for the last three, four years and very much consider it something that's, that's like of my own creation now, I will always acknowledge that it was him that helped me get get it off the ground. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've answered your question as to why I wanted to do it, but um, I guess a feeling of, well, I can. Why why can't I? Um, I think when you're, you're 22 and naive and believe that you're better than, you know, you can do anything, then um, you just, you know, you have this amazing ability to just do something and, you figure out all the problems later on yeah no you answered the question perfectly and that's such a powerful mindset to have and one that I think is is really important to have especially when you are finishing university and you've sort of got that massive sort of uh leg of time in front of you that you have no idea what to do with and you have to jump into the sort of adult world as it were so I definitely think that that was really inspirational um, and I definitely think it's important that you mentioned sort of your experiences with your placement, because I think um, our time within placement companies is so good to learn what you do like and what you don't like. Um, and it's so important to sort of cultivate your own uh, passion and sort of understanding of what you like and you want to do within uh, your industry. So I think that was that was really inspirational. Yeah, I definitely agree about that that point about placement. I think it really I mean, for every, I think for every, I could safely say for every student that has taken a placement, it's taught them a lot more than they initially thought they could have learnt before they started. Like I remember in second year kind of thinking, oh, I've got absolutely zero clue what on earth I would do for my final year project or what I would do after university. I had no idea at all. But I think it really just sort of helps you to to figure out not only kind of the, the type of area of design that you enjoy working in, but also the style of work that you like to do. Do you pr- prefer having an office job 
where you just do you know um document design graphic design or CAD work or do you prefer you know getting into the workshops and actually making things with your hands and I think you know that's something where we just kind of get forced to a massive combination uh, of those things in first and second year and uh, don't really get to spend enough time on one or each of those things to figure out what we prefer actually to do ourselves as just kind of a lot of stress incorporated in just completing all those deadlines. So Joe, um, in regards to into COVID and to everything that's gone on, is there anything, any achievements that you are proud of that your company has managed to do despite COVID? I think the the biggest achievement for us is being able to maintain a sense of collaboration and teamwork and being there for each other despite the fact that especially from mid-March to July end of July last year we we didn't see each other face to face um, barely at all we worked solidly from home and it was really just a case of when there was a delivery between or a pickup between between team members one of us would would get on our bikes and cycle and that would and standing outside the door and collecting something was literally like the only time we ever saw each other face to face. Um, so the fact that the fact that we kind of got through that, everybody's mental health, whilst obviously we were all we were all anxious, we were all stressed, we we weren't sleeping as well. We all felt cooped up and and in this kind of very strange world. You know, we all managed to keep each other going and and get through that together, and that's really brought us very much closer as a team. So I'd say that that's probably like the the best thing that's happened because of COVID. And the company, whilst there was a a lull in work in general, I think across the industry uh, in March and April, everything's picked back up and we've had lots of inquiries, especially because we work with startups. Lots of companies are are just going for it. They're just starting things, going, um, investing in, in, uh, in product because there's not much else secure in the world to invest in right now and so I think um so yeah I mean the company's grown uh, we've we've hired I've hired in in in, in COVID I've, I've hired someone I've never met face to face and uh and yeah I think that that we've got plenty to be grateful for despite despite all of the challenges yeah I think um considering that we're still trying to you know complete our university experience we also definitely miss that face-to-face interaction with other students and um I miss I miss as silly as it sounds doing all those uh, ridiculous all nighters before the deadlines and stuff like we've had some ridiculous um staying up late or all night and just ordering food and things like that but it it brings it gets you kind of you develop a deeper relationships with your with your course mates and stuff because you know that you're all sort of working hard towards the same thing and uh, you help each other out on different um parts if you kind of don't understand and everything and um, I was actually wondering, Joe, do you have like a favourite memory or um, all-nighter experience that you could tell us about from your university days? Uh, I guess this might be disappointing, but I don't think I ever did an all-nighter. Um, what? You're a good student. <laughs> <laughs> I value my sleep. <laughs> oh my um, no, I, I, uh, I. The only time that I worked vaguely late. When I say big, I mean it was quite late, maybe two a.m. was um was was when I was completing my major project and and finishing the report because I wanted to finish it 
like five days early so that I could send it off and get it properly printed. And so I didn't, it was by choice. Like I didn't need to necessarily do online. But I mean, I know that that sounds like I may have uh, not fulfilled my student obligations to to, <laughs> to do the, the all-nighter in, in Tower A, but I don't have any specific um, all-nighter memories I mean, I, I may well, I've definitely stayed up all night, but just not for work reasons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Um, but despite not doing uh, a memorable all-nighter, do you have like a favourite uh, sort of snack or food or drink that kept you going through just doing your work and sort of motivating you to get through your work? I'm pretty sure that I lived off peanut butter on toast. I still pretty much do live off peanut butter on toast. <laughs> that's solid. That's, that's good. Yeah, awesome. so definitely that. And um and tea, just lots of tea. I drink a lot of tea. <laughs> That's so funny. Goodness, I wouldn't have expected that from you, you know, Joe. I would have thought, oh yeah, she's had some kind of crazy all nighter with her mates where they, I don't know, played tag with a statue or something ridiculous. I don't know. <laughs> I totally wasn't expecting that you would have never done an all nighter for work. It sounds almost inhuman. Sounds impossible with with design. <laughs> well, I mean. I'd class myself as an efficient worker. So if I chose to be up, it was more to the camaraderie of like hanging out with friends who were staying up late or helping out you know, on, on, a, on a mate's project. Um, there was definitely, in final year, we, we had a, one, of, one of my friends had done a placement on a toy company and so had come back with like an arsenal of Nerf guns. So we had uh, plenty of Nerf battles. Um, oh, that's so and fun. And late night meets in the kitchen either it was either I think at that time probably whiskey or tea um at, at, <laughs> at two in the morning uh either I mean maybe coffee but I've, I've never really been a big caffeine person fair enough so do you have a favorite workshop this is something we asked our last guest who is also a very big fan of yours um yeah. she's called Lauren and she's the founder and director of Cosy Care I'm not sure if you've heard of her but um when we asked her who her like design inspirations and icons are she she said you were one of hers and we said we'd mention it <laughs> no I know Lauren um I think what she's doing is great and uh it's it's amazing to see people take their major projects through um to, uh, like form you know successful businesses from them because there's so much amazing work that that gets and thought um, and research that gets put into these projects during quite a significant period of time uh, and I mean to put it into context we'll take a product to market in, in we can take a product to market in nine months but we're not working on it every single day you know, we have plenty of other things to do and so the fact that so that like you're talking about a very similar amount of time that's gone into these major projects and and for them to be taken to market um, like Lauren is doing has or has done is is admirable. So, um, but yeah, I do know Lauren uh, and uh, she's great. Um, uh, what was the question? <laughs> uh, so what is your favourite workshop? Lauren mentioned that Wood was her favourite workshop when starting at Brunel and going through. So do you have a favourite workshop? Um, I really, I mean, everyone likes the Wood workshop because it's like, it's just a playful place to be I mean um what's the name of the technician that used that has been that was like literally part and parcel of the workshop I think he's retired now yes uh Peter Bird I believe he's just uh, retired last year such a shame we miss him love Peter oh my gosh he's must have seen he's seen generations and probably I mean I'm sure that at some point he said that he'd seen like someone and their child go through the university 
Amazing. Wow. I think wet metal work was my favorite. The not the machine shop because that the fabrication um, scared shop me. But yeah, oh, but guy in the fabrication shop was my was my favorite. I think that's one of the most memorable things about the whole university experience was that the first day of Metal Fab workshops, it was just spent with Guy telling us like horror stories about what he's he's seen, like like students cutting off their fingers. And he mentioned this um, one of his friends who was like an underwater welder and she saw one of her friends just get like murdered by a squid. And that was quite for a first year that has just started and just stepped in the workshops. That was pretty scary. Really? Yeah. I don't, did he not do that for you? Well, no. The only story I remember from from Guy's workshop is um, uh, the one about where I think there was... Well, I remember that there were obviously various films and documentaries and stuff where they used the workshop to film stuff. And I remember him telling us about this um, documentary that was being filmed and they, they had this big camera and there's... There's that, I think it's the spot welder where yes. if you have any electronic devices that are basically within two metres of it while it's working, they will basically burn to a crisp. Yeah, And he was like telling it. us about how people would have Apple logos and Samsung logos tattooed onto their skin because their phone would fry in their pocket. And then about this like um, this camera that basically got fried and it was worth hundreds of thousands of pounds and they basically then had to go and explain to their boss that they just ruined a perfectly good camera yeah. by not listening to Guy telling them exactly. to stand back. Exactly. Yeah, that's all I remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, but I loved Peter so much. I came in to Wood very hungover one time. <laughs> As and, you do. Yeah, and he was an angel and we were just talking he was like did you have a good night and I was like yeah it was great but I ended up getting a foil blanket because I nearly got hypothermia and he was like oh my gosh he was like what's a foil blanket he was so interested I was like do you know what Peter I'm gonna bring it into you next time and I'm gonna show you my foil blanket (laughs) he was like so invested in what this foil blanket was like and I was like how do you not know but yeah that was uh one of my experiences so Joe do you have any memorable workshop stories I mean, this is a long time ago now. Um, <laughs> that you can remember. Um, I remember that I it, I did a project for the Early Learning Centre in the, I think it was second year. It was a kind of uh, stemmed off from a competition and they they selected a few students to go forwards and, and work on their projects further. And I made, uh, it was a, it was like a, a turtle that would kind of bob its head and wiggle its arms and tail around when you pulled it along. And then there was three holes in the back of it that you could put different, I want to say like shapes in, and each of those shapes had made a sound. So there was like full sensory kind of, it was supposed to be like quite a sensory experience. Uh, But I had to basically by hand carve uh, these three, these turtle prototypes out of yellow foam and then I backformed them and uh, built them up by some sort of like modeling process um can't even remember what I was using some I think it was just like filler that I that then basically sculpted this 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 turtle shape and then sprayed it up so it looked like a, it was kind of finished plastic but I was in there for hours like I think I spent like I don't know five days from the moment it opened to way past when it should have closed in there solidly to make these prototypes for this competition. And um, 
but yeah I mean there's nothing I like more than just getting a rasp and some blue foam or, or whatever and just hacking stuff together it's nice when you get to do that kind of thing in the workshops as well because I feel like it's such a good opportunity to just give your brain a bit of a break <laughs> and switch off and just focus on what you're doing kind of mm. without having to think about loads of stuff I, that's my favorite kind of work I like doing so um, I think I mentioned earlier about um, how a lot of creatives have been sort of cast aside and not considered as um, key workers. And uh, I came across this post before um, about um, how, yeah, artists were labelled as non-essential workers. Um, and I saw your comment about it, Joe, um, basically saying how ridiculous it was. And I completely agree. So do you want to tell us a bit more about that and how it made you feel? Oof. I mean, I, I, I'd probably comment more than I should on things on LinkedIn, but I do know which one that you're talking about. Um, I think it's a difficult one because ultimately everything's just taken out of context. And, and so there may well have been a rationale behind the article, but it is, it, it, they didn't kind of consider the implications for what people who were in the creative industry would actually say about it. And I think, you know, in, in certain situations, you know, in a hospital room is an artist required I don't know not at that specific time perhaps not but uh but in the wider context of um of uh, even just the, the the response to to covid yes creatives are are vital and uh, because designers come up with a, a kind of a key component to innovation and and ideas that uh, provide better solutions to things that you know to problems we're having and um and and creative ways of of solving shortages of material shortage of ppe shortages of you know all kinds of things i mean this is what we do we're we're, we're problem solvers and, and we think creatively around around challenges to to find multitudes of possible solutions um so i think i think you know to to, to consider that um to consider artists as being a kind of redundant profession is yeah it, it, it is ridiculous and but I, I yeah it's difficult to, I don't think that that was necessarily how the article had specifically meant it to come across but um but yeah I can't I can't I can't 100% remember exactly what what it was saying um or how it was put across but uh but yeah I, I mean ultimately aside from outside of the design profession outside of of the creative industry, if you like. I mean, it, it's things that like art and music and that are fundamental food, you know, they're, they're fundamental to our, to our, like our livelihoods, you know, to be able, our enjoyment outside of work, things that keep us going, especially during a lockdown uh, that have been really, you know, really important in keeping us sane um, and keeping us feeling like, you know, we're part of something and uh, yeah, so there's loads of reasons why why creative businesses, creative people, um, and creative professions are are definitely um, uh, you know, absolutely necessary. Mm. Yeah, I know, and it was just quite funny because it was quite ironic because obviously the graphic for that post was made by like an artist. Um, but it reminds me <laughs> of this quite funny advert that I saw. It was like a post, and it was like on a stadium, and it was like a billboard, and it was an advertisement for a graphic designer, and it was like you know, the paint, the like application paint. And it was like, mm -hmm. just someone had scrawled graphic design that graphic designer needed for hire, like in this like five rolled style handwriting on paint. 
And I thought that was just perfect because it just goes to show like how needed graphic designers are. In, I in saw that Amazon. as well. Did you see? It was so funny. I was like, that's perfect. It's and brilliant. Like, yeah. Mm, yeah. 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 Very funny. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, one thing I did want to to mention as well is I think it's amazing how many small businesses have started to grow and thrive during a lockdown. And I think it's I think it's pushed a lot of students as well to just consider starting their own small business after university more so than than they would have initially thought before the first lockdown ever even started. I think most people thought, oh, yeah, this, we'll just go into a normal co- like nine to five corporate job um, and work for some kind of design consultancy firm or um, an in-house design department in a bigger multinational company or something. But I think it's really pushed people to to realise that, you know, everybody especially in all the time we've had to work at home, everybody's been able to develop their own style and and um, understand, you know, using um, more effort that, and more time that they have to put into their own work to just realise what they're good at and what they enjoy doing the most. And I think, especially for me, like I've considered doing things after we graduate in the summer that I never would have considered before. Um, so it's amazing to just kind of see how lockdown has influenced people in a good way, not just a bad way. Amazing. Okay, so to finish off, Joe, we asked our uh, Lauren this, um, and we're going to make it a bit of a theme. So, what advice would you give your younger self, uh, knowing where you are now? Oh, that's a good question. Um, when we first, what like, when I first started Marama, there was there was definitely a feeling of like, no, well, wait, wait, firstly, how far back are we going? Like, how young are we talking? Five? Or we talking? It can be your student your self, your university self. Yeah. Okay, my university self. Um, I think that the the advice I'd give myself would probably just be, you know, just go for it. I mean, I, essentially that is what I ended up doing, and and it's worked out kind of okay. Um, but there's always a feeling along the way of of imposter syndrome of of like I shouldn't be doing this. You know, your your job title is managing director at the age of 24 and and it's somewhat like a bit of a falsehood because you're not really managing anything you've got one employee um but uh but definitely I feel like you know now I've got a team of eight that that role whilst I don't use that title anymore um is you know it it is essentially what I do and, and and I've earned that role and I think um yeah just just keep at it um and and go for it I, and I say that's the same as anybody to, to anybody as you just said in this in this kind of changing world that we're living in right now there's this feeling of um like a like a, a loss of, of certainty over our futures um and especially at the futures of, of graduates who, who are entering the workplace expecting there to be job opportunities available to them and and finding that they're or, or, or worrying that there won't actually be those opportunities and and so resorting to um sort of creating your own opportunities is done is being kind of we're seeing that more and more somewhat out of necessity but I think we're we're being we're it's it's bringing um giving people a level of confidence to just to just go for it because there's really nothing to lose and and so I think this yeah as you say this this rise in people starting something for themselves, finding their own little niche, finding something they're good at and really, really honing their skills and practicing it and, and, and putting them out there as either 
um, as a service or uh, as a product um, is, yeah, it's really inspiring. And, and I think that I've definitely felt this. Um, I know I know I'm going off topic, but I've really felt this this kind of bubbling um, eagerness to 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 sort of get grow back, not just to where we were before COVID, but past that. You know, in the creative industry within London, and as I, I mean, I I guess without throughout the UK, but I my own I, being immersed in the city I can only really feel it so far but but yeah I, I feel this uh, I feel this bubbling excitement of of, of ideas and opportunities um, and I'd and I think that my advice to anybody kind of making or considering those options is like you've got nothing to lose you really don't and uh, it will only it will only uh, make you more attractive as an employee should should you then move you know choose to go and work for for somebody else having tried to start something up yourself amazing that was really good you answered that perfectly and and that was really nice touch at the end for advice for other people as well so I think um the people listening will really enjoy hearing that from you and um and definitely there is a sense of hope for the future I think and and that is something lovely to end off with yeah absolutely um thank you so much Joe, for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure um learning about more about your company and um finding out about some of your fun university experiences and stuff as well so thank you very much for joining us mm, thank you no thank you for having me the made in renal podcast is hosted by caris bowen and alison tuffin it's produced and edited by paramir Bachu. if you're enjoying listening to our women in science series then don't worry we'll be back soon with another episode Toby and Paramvir will have to stay locked in the basement for a little bit longer. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>